In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about that light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We'll skip down to 16. For from his fullness, we all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. All right. So we begin the new year with several new paradigms to, to deal with, several new sort of uh, uh, changes. We, we have a change in, in uh, some of the staffing here at the church. We have a slight modification of the worship style in this service. We have... Um, we have a lot of adaptation to adjust to. And wherever there's change and adaptation, there's always grief, there's always confusion, and there's always uh, uncertainty about the future, you know. But in the end, what felt like normal once upon a time becomes a memory and it is replaced by whatever feels like normal now, you know. Remember when we talked about this uh, after the pandemic started, you know, can you believe it, two years have gone by almost since this whole thing started? We'll be talking about the anniversary of the shutdown here in a matter of weeks. And when we do, we'll all recall that we kept thinking, well, a few weeks and we'll be back to normal. Remember that? And now what we know, because life has taught us better, because the Lord has taught us, is, is normal is what you're comfortable with. You know, normal is what you're comfortable with. And if you've become comfortable, or at least you've learned to take comfort in smaller doses, can we agree about that? Can we all agree that, that in 2022, what we've learned that we're going to apply in 2022 is that you take your comfort in smaller doses. You don't plan on a year of comfort, you plan on a day of comfort or a week of comfort. And in this case, I don't mean ease and, you know, I don't mean easy chair kind of comfort. I just mean that you accept that, that at the end of today, if nothing's gone really sideways, it's been a good day. <laughs> 
right? You know, you accept a lot more willingly that things probably won't be as you thought they would be. And so if there's something we can say about the new normal, it might just be that it's not that different from the old normal. It's just that we've adjusted our expectations and we've adjusted uh, our adaptability. We've become a little bit more flexible. We've become a little bit more dynamic. And in a way that prepares us for a year of serving Christ that I hope you will be uh, reflecting on for the rest of your life. That Wow, this was the year that I realized that I couldn't start 2022 expecting the pandemic to be over, expecting uh, natural disasters to stop coming. You know, uh, this is going to be the year that, that uh, I've learned to just walk with Christ day by day and to accept each day as it comes, to continue moving with purpose in a certain direction. So we're not, we're not talking about being purposeless. We're not talking about having uh, a, a random existence where we just get up in the morning and do whatever feels like the right thing to do in that moment. There's always a sense of direction to our lives, but we're willing to take as long as we must to get there. Is that a fair assessment of where we've come in this journey. And so when we get to this reading from the gospel of John, believe it or not, in my mind, God is through John saying, get used to the new normal or for you chosen fans, you know, get used to different. But what, what that means is, is that God hasn't changed God's plan. God hasn't changed the direction that God set out toward this goal of being humanity designed by God for God, specifically by God for God's son. Now, again, I, I mention this to you all the time. We have to do a deep dive into Ephesians in particular to get this. But what you begin to understand that Paul is trying to articulate to Jewish people, quite honestly, he's, he's known as the, as the, as the uh, missionary to the Gentiles, but but he makes it very clear that his purpose in reaching the Gentiles is to try to get the Jews converted, to try to get the Jews to understand that Jesus is the one they've been looking for. And so in a roundabout way, what Paul wants us to understand is, is that, that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything God intended from Eden going forward. John understands this, and this is why when you read John's gospel, it sounds a little bit like the book of Genesis. Did anybody else notice that? The book of Genesis opens with the words, in the beginning, and so does John's gospel. Well, understanding that all of the people with whom Jesus first ministered and for whom he came Primarily, and then we became the next step in that process, and that's not a bad thing. But Jesus introduced himself, and through Jesus, God introduces a new covenant through Jesus to the Jewish people. And so when we read scripture, especially in the New Testament, we've got to understand the Jewishness of the writers. We have to understand that they, they were not 
interpreting what they saw in the way that you and I would because their whole life is steeped in their religious culture as well as their knowledge of the Bible. The Bible has 66 books and it's divided into two parts. And there's a part we call the Old Testament and a part we call the New Testament. What we call the Old Testament, Jewish people would call the Hebrew Bible. And it's basically the Bible that John in this gospel was referencing as he wrote to us about a new paradigm, a new covenant. The word testament is a word that can also be translated as covenant. And so when you open your Bible, you see at the beginning the word New Testament, but you could just as well replace that with the word covenant. You could say, I'm reading the old covenant, now I'm reading the new covenant. That will put this in perspective for you because what the Gospel of John is trying to say to us right from the beat, the very first words of the Gospel is, here's the same old story, but under a new covenant. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the one that I'm about to tell you about was there for that. That's what he's trying to say. He's deliberately paralleling the first book of the Bible, the one that would be very familiar to his Jewish readers, and explaining to them how this new covenant that he's about to introduce is a continuation of God's original plan. God's original plan is nothing less than heaven on earth. And that's going to be our theme right up until the Lenten season. And, and uh, heaven on earth is the goal. And what we read in Genesis is that God created a place that was heaven on earth. And so we read about a world that existed but was chaotic, probably dominated by uh, the fallen angels that we read about, you know, a world that was dominated by their destructive nature and their uh, self-serving nature. And, and so it was a world that was chaotic because of sin and rebellion against God, which was the same thing. And in the midst of this, God creates a garden, he creates a place where there's perfect cosmic order. And in that place, he creates humanity a unique version of humanity because it's a pure version that God creates in God's own image. So we don't necessarily see all of that clearly in reading Genesis, but we can begin to see it clearly when we read the Gospel of John, which is the point, I believe, that John wants us to read. That, that God's intention was to introduce heaven on earth. And you know the story, heaven on earth was working just fine until Satan snuck into this little place of heaven on earth. And at the time, apparently he could. And he came in the form of this serpent, which in scripture, you know, what that really means is he is the serpent. He, he is the nachash or the, this, this sort of dragon-like creature. It doesn't really necessarily translate to a snake, but the idea is, is that he is an unwelcome unnatural part of this place called Eden, which is heaven on earth. And he gets in, introduces temptation, and the unique people that God created for God's son are tempted to 
disregard God's will, disobey God, and to treat God with the same lack of respect that Satan is basically in his constant state of rebellion exercising. So what happens? Heaven on earth can't happen. That's what happens. It stops being accessible to not only Adam and Eve, but anybody, Satan, anybody. And so what happens after the fall is that the humanity that God created for this specific purpose is ejected from this heaven on earth realm we call Eden, and God puts mighty angels, really, really dangerous, mighty angels at the gates, probably not to keep the puny humans out. I'm just, just, you know. Let's start the new year with a view of the cosmos that includes wild and amazing things. Let's let our view of scripture inform us that the world is a crazy place and that there's a lot of wild and mysterious things that go on out there that are not natural to God's created order. And let's just see how scripture reads when we think along those lines. And when we realize that God did not bar humanity with mighty angels, he was barring a lot of other things. And so with that in mind, we now have this sort of DMZ between the chaotic world that this special humans, these unique people, these uniquely created people are now trying to operate in. And there's this line of, of separation between heaven and the chaos. And this has been the state of affairs until Christmas. Well, you know, what we call Christmas. This has been the state of things until Christ came to earth. Then all of a sudden, heaven on earth is a thing again. Up to that point, the only time you had heaven on earth was in the Holy of Holies. The only sense of heaven on earth was a pillar and a cloud. Up to that point, heaven on earth was something that was interpreted through unique people who were set apart by God for the role of being God's presence on earth. And there were just a few. And they came on a limited basis. And then up towards the very last 400 years, that even went dark. Now all of a sudden, we can't see what's on the other side of the separation line between heaven and earth. We, we are for 400 years experiencing radio silence. And then Zechariah steps in to the Holy of Holies, not expecting anything out of the ordinary because for 400 years, nobody's seen anything extraordinary happen there. And an angel talks to him. And even then he doubts himself. He questions his sanity. Have you ever seen something you couldn't interpret? because you, do, you had no point of reference for it. This is what people do when they say they've seen Bigfoot or something, right? They go, well, I knew it couldn't be that because there's no such thing, so it had to be this. And my point is, is what we do psychologically when we don't know how to interpret what we've encountered is we come up with an explanation. And angels definitely would get your attention but also leave you scratching your head trying to figure out what just happened. And so no wonder Zechariah says, yeah, 
right. Somebody spiked my wine, you know, something weird happened. That's the only explanation I have, and that's why Zechariah had to spend about nine months thinking it all over, right? Heaven was back to earth. And it started in this tiny little form of a baby. And then this baby grew into the one who would, as only he could, open heaven's gates wide for us, for all of us. So what happens that John wants us to understand is that Jesus is the light of heaven. He is the light of heaven on earth. And wherever he is, there's heaven. And there are people who recognize that and there are people who reject it. Keeping in mind what we just talked about a minute ago, that not all of human creation in the beginning was necessarily made in the image of God, and maybe that would explain why there had to be a great flood in Genesis 6 and 7. Maybe we begin to understand that even now there are people who are never going to get it. They're just not going to get it. But... Jesus came so that all who would receive that light would get that light. And so let this be the year that you receive that light because here's what happens because of it. You become heaven on earth. This is why the lighthouse imagery is so profoundly associated with the Christian experience because we are the lighthouses. We are the extension of Christ on earth. We are Christ on earth. And so what Christ has done, and John wants us to understand this, he's introduced a new covenant whereby God's grace, which was always the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, through Jesus, who is unique in all of creation because he's not created, but one with the Father, and yet, like us in his humanity, he is able to settle the account that forced God to keep us out of a creation that God intended for us, heaven on earth. And when we accept Christ as the one who is our propitiation, the one who has redeemed us, the one who has made things right between us and God, as the Gospel of John clearly stated, we become sons and daughters of God. Who is Jesus? The Son of God. What is John trying to tell you? Through Jesus, you become a son of God. You become a daughter of God. That's big. That is going back to the Adamic or state of being that existed before the fall. That's going back to heaven. And you look at yourself in the mirror and you listen to the things that come out of your mouth and you wonder about the things that go through your mind and you go, there's no way I could be a son or daughter of God. I'm still too corrupt. Yes, you are. And as Paul would say, I am chief among sinners standing before you. So what's the deal? What's this new covenant? Well, the covenant is this binding agreement between us and God through Jesus Christ that culminates in heaven on earth 
but it hasn't entirely happened yet. The chaos is still out there. The chaos is still there. And people have to make a choice whether to accept the chaos as normal or to live for heaven on earth, to live as heaven on earth. So as born again believers, you are heaven on earth to somebody, if only to yourself. If only in those moments when you feel disconnected and isolated and alone, if you could just realize that you are connected with every other point of light that was illuminated by the Spirit of God through Jesus Christ. That's what John wants us to understand about heaven on earth. So let's make it our goal in this coming year to be the light of Christ on earth. And here's my recommendation after years of striving for that myself, start in the mirror. <laughs> start with something that's not easy, but it's a whole lot smaller in scope. Ironically, a lot of us find it easier to, you know, try to be good to other people and but we do it for vanity's sake more often than not. And so my challenge to you is, is be heaven on earth to you. You know what the hardest thing for most of us to accept is? That we are perfected in God's sight by our new birth in Christ. In other words, God doesn't see us the way we see ourselves. God does not see you the way you see you. God does not see you the way the people around you see you. The funny thing is, is that there's probably more in common with the way your dog sees you than with the way that God sees you. You know, I pray that prayer all the time. Lord, help me to be the kind of person my dog thinks I am. Because every day when I come home after being gone for 15 minutes or more, my dog thinks I'm the most awesome human being that ever walked the planet. So start with you. And if you don't have a dog or a cat, I'm sorry. You'll have to figure out some other way to experience this. But honestly, you can go down and pet dogs at the Humane Society and they'll make you feel good about yourself and they don't even live with you. Now, I hope I haven't lost my point in that silly illustration, but here's the thing. I want to see you become the fully functional follower of Christ that you were made to be the day you were born again in Christ. And it starts with you accepting the one in the mirror as a child of God. And don't be so hard on that kid because it turns out God has a much better opinion of you than you have of yourself. And it isn't because you aren't a sinner in certain ways that you haven't overcome yet. It isn't because you haven't lived for the chaos sometimes. It's because God sees you in the shadow of his son. God sees you the way some of you come in. I see you come in with your children and I say hi to your children and they stand behind you peeking out from behind you. And they, they don't know how delighted I am to see them. 
They are just shy. This is what God sees when God looks at you. He sees you standing behind Jesus, looking out just a little bit to receive this love. So begin by putting yourself right in front of God, right in front of your mirror and saying, you know, I, I, I'm okay. Uh, this, is, this is who I am. But because of Christ, I'm a little piece of heaven on earth. This is not about pride. It's not about, you know, building yourself up in some way. It's about accepting yourself as redeemable, lovable, and as a light of Christ. And the truth is, to a fallen world, a broken vessel that reflects the light of Christ is probably a more powerful testimony. So reflect that light as you are. And reflect it then to your spouse, to your children, to your coworkers. Because honestly, if you're doing it really well beyond them, but they see you in entirely different ways and you know, are tempted to say like, man, you know, if you only knew them like I knew them, you got a problem. So let's, let's just make that our goal on this first Sunday of the new year. I'm going to pray real quick and then we'll do something else here. Almighty God, thank you for your word. Burn it on our hearts. Change our nature. Do it all for your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen.